Blog Talk Radio. Okay, praise the Lord and welcome to Blog Talk Radio. I have Evangelist Janice Taylor with me. We're going to be coming up against the enemy. Times is going to change. God is going to change the tree, shake the tree in the body of Christ worldwide. We're dealing with a spirit of antichrist. We're dealing with an anti-Messiah spirit. But before we allow Derek Prince to give you this teaching, Evangelist Taylor, tell people who you are, how they can reach you in the days that you are on broadcast here, and how to get a hold to you if they anybody needs ministering to you. If you're female and you're more comfortable with Sister Taylor, uh, hey, I have no problem. We, we don't compete. We, we work with the same God. There's plenty of demons out there for everybody. Plenty of demons. <laughs> Amen, Apostle. Amen. It's uh, this is the right? Yes, there. Yes, there are. There's more than enough to go around. Amen. Oh, so we, ain't, yeah, we ain't fighting over no demons. Okay. <laughs> but uh, <laughs> our ministry is is Walls of Fire Deliverance Ministry International, and our web address is www.wallsoffiredeliverancemin.com. You can reach us by phone at 336-830-0601 or email at jet245 at msn.com. And if you desire to sow a seed, you can sow a seed into this ministry through PayPal or Zelle using the email address jet245 at msn.com. We are on Blog Talk every Thursday night at 8 p.m., always with uh, 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 our host, Apostle Emmett Overton, uh, our sponsor. We're on every Thursday night on his program, and he allows me to preach and teach on Thursday night at 8 p.m. So if any of you are being blessed or even want to be blessed or need to live, just call or contact me by email, and um, we will be happy to set up an appointment for you. So I thank God for the opportunity to work with a great man, uh, Apostle Emmett Overton. It is such an honor to um, sit under your tutelage, and I do thank God for you. Well, you've been a blessing to me, Vanish Taylor. You know, we got the same. I told Sister Durden, I said, I got the same relationship with two wonderful women, Evangelist Taylor and uh, Sister Candace Durden, Apostle Candace Durden. And it's been an honor with you, and you've been a blessing to me. We're going to be, me and Evangelist Taylor tomorrow, we're going to be coming up against the enemy in spiritual warfare prayers. So get out your pen and piece of paper. We're going to be bringing it. I got over 427 scriptures with that, and somehow I'll be praying by that, and I'll be moving away as the Holy Spirit leads me and Evangelist Taylor. But before we teach this tonight, you need to know something about Israel and God's chosen people. Let's start at Romans 1.16, and then we're going to let Derek Prince bring this Antichrist spirit. We're setting everything up for tomorrow because we need to first teach you about Israel and God's chosen people because a lot of you don't Christians don't even know anything about this. But in Romans 1.16, the Bible says, For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God unto salvation to everyone that believeth, to the Jew first, the Jew, 
Israel, and also to yes. the Greek. That's us. So let's don't forget that. Now, let's remember this before we put this teaching in here from Derek Prince. The Holy Spirit is telling me that there are a lot of people who don't understand God's chosen people. They know nothing scripturally about it, but I'm going to give you the scriptures. And I'll tell you concerning uh, uh, God's chosen people, about 1,900 B.C. before Christ, God chose a man named Abram, A-B-R-A-M. Later, he renamed Abraham to come to the father of a nation by whom he planned a special destiny. God made a covenant with Abraham in which he promised that through his seed, all nations will be blessed. That's in uh, Genesis 12, 2, and 3. And God confirmed this covenant in, Genesis, in, in Psalm chapter 50, verse 8, to Abraham, brother Jacob, whose name he changed to Israel. 430 years later, through Moses, God made a further covenant with Jacob, his descendants, the nation of Israel, in which he gave them a complete set of laws and a fuller picture of their destiny. Later, God sent prophets to Israel who predicted how their destiny would be worked out. God's purpose is revealed to Abraham. How many people God promised Abraham would be blessed through him? All families of the earth, Genesis 12.2 and Genesis 12.3. On what basis did God accept Abraham as righteousness? Genesis 15.6. He just believed. It was that simple. He just believed. Amen. Three, how many people did God promise to make Abraham a father? Many nations. So Israel is very important for all of us. You may not get hit with the bums, but it's going to come at you spiritually with the spirit that's coming up against anything that is anti-Messiah. How many people did God promise to make Abraham a father of nations? Many nations. Genesis chapter 17, verse 4 and 5. With whom did God make an everlasting covenant with? Genesis 17, 7, with Abraham and his descendants. What promise did God give to Abraham in this covenant? Genesis 17, 7, to be God to him and to his descendants. Which two descendants of Abraham were later included by name in this covenant? According to Exodus chapter 6, verse 3 and 4, Leviticus 26, 42, and Exodus 2, 24, Isaac and Jacob. Who name did God give Jacob? which is in Genesis chapter 35:10, and which turned to Israel. What two pictures did God use to show Abraham how numerous of his descendants would be? That's in Genesis 22:17. It would be like the stars of heaven and the sands of the seashore. How many people did God promise Abraham would be blessed in his seed? Genesis 22:18. All the nations on earth. Why did God promise this to Abraham? Genesis 22:18 because Abraham obeyed God's voice. What did God require Abraham to do for his children and his household in order to receive what God has promised him? Genesis 18:9 to command them to keep a way of the Lord by doing righteousness and justice and observing the Sabbath. What were the first two demands that God made on Israel when they came to Mount Sinai in Exodus 19:5? One obey his voice, two, to keep God's covenant. Provide Israel's full fullness, these demands, what three things did God promise they will be? He promised Abraham through his descendants, according to Exodus chapter 19, 5 and through 6, a special treasure to God above all people. You need to leave these people alone. You, you better be pro-Israel above all people. That's including Gentiles. 
But we are spiritually Jews by Jesus of Nazareth. Now, there are Jews that has not accepted the Messiah. You just leave that alone that God did with his people. Stay out of judgment in Israel. Now, what else did God promise Israel of the same condition in Deuteronomy 21? To set them above high of all the nations of the earth. Stay two, two ways that would affect the attitude of other people toward Israel. Deuteronomy 20.10. They will see that the Israelis are called by the name of the Lord, and they will be afraid of Israel. And you will have that with this war. What would be the result of Israel uh, keeping God's covenant? Deuteronomy 29.9. They would propose in all that they did. God proposed and revealed in his Psalms and his prophets. What are the two ways in which God favored and blessed Israel with the effect of the rest of the world? Psalm 67, 1 and 2. God's way will be known on earth about Israel. God's salvation will be known through Israel by all nations through his son, Jesus of Nazareth. God promised to put his spirit upon his chosen servants, who will be the servant for us through the Gentiles, Jesus Christ. State two things that God will appoint the servants to be for Israel and for the Gentiles. A covenant to his people. God promised that. And what we're doing now are we are dealing we are dealing with an anti Messiah spirit that's trying to come up against what I'm telling you in the Bible. It says, state two things that God will appoint this servants to be for Israel and for the Gentiles. Satan does not want this to happen. This is in Isaiah forty two six, a covenant to the people of Israel. A light to the Gentiles. This war is going to affect a lot of people. What two things did God chose Israel to be for himself? Isaiah 43.10, his witness, his servants. Name three ways in which God desires Israel to respond to his revelation of himself. Isaiah 43.10, to know, to believe, to understand. For what two purposes will many people go up to these mountains of the Lord? Isaiah 2, verse 2 and 3, that they may teach them his way and that they may walk in his path through the covenant of the Old Testament. Now, without further ado, Derek Prince is going to be talking about this spirit. I just wanted to give you just a brief <clears throat> uh, history of Israel biblically. And now, Derek Prince is going to break this spirit down. Me and Evangelist Taylor, we're going to start tomorrow at 8 o'clock. Live Deliverance Internet Radio members and staff fasting, except for Apostle Candace Durden, who's on a personal mission. Uh, all of the staff here at Live Living Center Radio, I'm calling for for a fast beginning tonight at 12 midnight into Saturday and end at Shabbat 6.30. All right, without further ado, tomorrow, me and Evangelist Janice will be kicking off interceding. We're going to be praying for Israel, the people, however the Spirit of God moves us. That's how we're going to go. Here we go with Derek Prince, the spirit of Antichrist. This is what we're dealing with now in this conflict. This is tape number 4264. Derek Prince speaks on the subject, The Enemies We Face. This message is entitled, The Spirit of Antichrist. This is the third in a series of talks on the theme of the enemies we face. In our first two talks, we dealt, first of all, with the nature and the structure of Satan's kingdom. I pointed out that there are two opposing spiritual kingdoms, the kingdom of God and the kingdom of Satan, both of them spiritual, both of them at this time invisible to the natural eye, but extremely real. 
and we attempted to trace the origin of Satan's kingdom to, a, to an archangel originally named Lucifer who laid a group of angels in rebellion against God and set up a rival kingdom in a region which is called in the New Testament the heavenlies. That phrase the heavenlies actually occurs five times in the epistle to the Ephesians which is the main section of scripture that unfolds God's revelation of the church. I think it's no accident that the emphasis there is on the heavenlies. The church of Jesus Christ is supposed to be operating in the heavenlies against another kingdom also established in the heavenlies. And for the benefit of those who are confused, I would like to point out that in the Bible from the first verse onwards, the word heaven is plural. There is more than one heaven. And somewhere between our planet and God's throne and the heaven of God's presence, there is a rival satanic kingdom in opposition to God. And then we dealt in the second talk with one of the main activities of the satanic kingdom, one of the main ways its power is manifested, which is witchcraft. For many people, witchcraft has a kind of old-fashioned sound, like something from the Middle Ages, which has long ceased to be relevant, but that is totally untrue. Witchcraft is very real, and I think has never been more active in human history than it is today. And in many nations, which a generation ago would have been described as Christian, are today pervaded with intense activity by witchcraft. I tried to give a brief definition of witchcraft in three areas. First of all, as a work of the flesh, one of the ways that man's fallen nature expresses itself, and I gave the three key words to manipulate, to intimidate, and to dominate. The aim of witchcraft simply is to control other people and get them to do what you want them to do. And it is not, does not use legitimate means. Witchcraft is closely allied with rebellion. It's the outworking of man's rebellion against God. In the second area, witchcraft is a sort of supernatural, satanic religion with many different aspects and phases. And uh, the priest of witchcraft in most countries is called the witch doctor. And you cannot find a single uh, area of the earth's surface where people have not been engaged in witchcraft, mostly from time immemorial. And in many, many areas of the world, it is still the prevailing spiritual activity. And then thirdly, we dealt with witchcraft in the church, which is one of Satan's master strokes. Paul wrote to the Galatian Christians and he said, Foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? And we saw that the evidence that they were bewitched consisted of the fact that the work of Jesus on the cross had been obscured. And through that, they had been deprived of all the benefits that Jesus had obtained for them. And this work of witchcraft expressed itself in the church in two main things. Carnality, relying on the flesh rather than on the spirit, 
and an outworking of carnality legalism. And I suggest to you, and I don't think I'm exaggerating, that very possibly most of the professing Christian church answers to that description. It has turned away from the supernatural grace and power of the Holy Spirit, resorts now on human methods, human efforts, and uh, is, in a sense, tied up in all sorts of legalistic systems. I've told people in some places that Christianity is not a set of rules. And sometimes people have looked at me in amazement. I think they could almost more easily have accepted the statement if I'd said there is no God. Well, this evening we're going on to the next main outworking of Satan's kingdom and Satan's opposition to God and to the Church of Jesus Christ. And we're going to deal with something that I have headed the spirit of Antichrist. We need to turn first of all to the passage in 1 John where this is primarily described. 1 John chapter 2 beginning at verse 18. 1 John 2:18. Little children, it is the last hour. And as you've heard that the Antichrist is coming, even now many Antichrists have come by which we know that it is the last hour. Notice that the advent and the working of the spirit of Antichrist is going to intensify the closer we get to the, the end of the age. They, that's these Antichrists, went out from us, uh, us being the Church of Jesus, but they were not of us. For if they had been of us, they would have continued with us. But they went out that they might be made manifest that none of them were of us. But you have an anointing from the Holy One and you know all things. Or an alternative reading, you all know, which is probably the right one. I have not written to you because you do not know the truth, but because you know it and that no lie is of the truth. Who is a liar but he who denies that Jesus is the Christ? He is Antichrist who denies the Father and the Son. Whoever denies the Son does not have the Father either. He who acknowledges the Son has the Father also. We see there that, let me first of all try and just briefly explain the real meaning of that strange phrase, anti-Christ. You need to bear in mind, first of all, that the word Christ is from a Greek word, Christos, which exactly corresponds to the Hebrew word Mashiach, from which we get Messiah. It's amazing how many Jews and Christians do not realize that Messiah and Christ are two different words for the same thing. So when we say anti-Christ, that means anti-Messiah. And it's probably easier for us to get the picture if we use the phrase Messiah. So, and then again, the, the preposition, I hope you know what a preposition is, if you don't, don't worry. Uh, you can get by without it. Heaven is open to those who don't know what prepositions are. But anyhow, the preposition anti is a Greek preposition, and it has two meanings, and both of them apply. First of all, it means against. So the first operation is against Messiah. The second meaning is in place of. 
And so the ultimate purpose is to put a false messiah in place of the true messiah. So this force operates first of all by excluding messiah and secondly by replacing him by a false messiah. So the total operation is in two phases. And when you begin to recognize that, I think you will see that the spirit of Antichrist is extremely active almost throughout the whole professing church. Ruth and I have friends in America who belong to a church which would be called in the old line evangelical stream. I don't want to name the denomination. And they said to me one day, they said, in our church you can talk about Buddha, you can talk about Socrates, you can talk about Plato, you can talk about Martin Luther King, and no one gets upset. But if you talk about Jesus, everybody gets upset. Now what is that? It's the spirit of Antichrist, see? It's in its first phase, getting rid of the true Messiah. But we all need to bear in mind that that's not the end of, of Satan's purpose. His purpose is to replace the true Messiah by a false Messiah. So that's what we're dealing with. It becomes obvious when you see that, that this particular operation of Satan is only applicable where Jesus has been preached. You cannot reject Jesus if you've never heard about Jesus. So witchcraft is different. Witchcraft belongs to the whole fallen human race. It is, in fact, as I said, the universal religion of the fallen race with many different manifestations and forms and ceremonies. But Antichrist can only be manifested where Christ has first been preached. In the temptation of Jesus in the wilderness at the beginning of his ministry, it's recorded in Matthew's Gospel that he said to Satan, get behind me, which is the normal way to translate it. But it is perfectly possible to translate that, follow behind me. And I believe that is a spiritual reality, that wherever Jesus and the Gospel are proclaimed, God will permit the opposite claim to follow. In fact, humanity is going to be forced to choose between the true Messiah and the false. It's part of God's way of dealing with us that he doesn't exclude the false options. And it's our responsibility to make the right choice. I think this is extremely relevant to our generation. I believe this generation, in one form or another, is going to have to make a decision, true Messiah or false Messiah. And the spirit of Antichrist is extremely active, much more than most of you have any idea, pressuring us into the wrong decision. Now, in this passage that we've read in 1 John chapter 2, maybe we should read 1 John 4, verses 2 and 3. By this you know the Spirit of God, Every spirit that confesses that Jesus, the Messiah, has come in the flesh is of God. And every spirit that does not confess that Jesus, the Messiah, has come in the flesh is not of God. Now some of you with alternative translations will have a shorter version 
every spirit that does not confess Jesus the Messiah. The meaning is the same. And this is the spirit of the Antichrist, which you have heard was coming and now is already in the world. If we look at the two passages together, we see there are three forms of Antichrist. First of all, there are many Antichrists. And in the course of human history, many, many Antichrists have appeared and been manifested. I'll speak briefly about just a few of them in a little while. Secondly, there is the Antichrist. Not many, but just one specific. That, I believe, is the final manifestation, the final product of the spirit of Antichrist, which has not yet been, as far as I know, revealed in human history. I often say to people, I think his shadow has already fallen across the stage, but we haven't seen the actual person. But at the end of this age, Scripture makes it clear there will be one final, supremely evil, supremely powerful ruler who will dominate the whole human race for a brief period, who will be the Antichrist. The third form is the spirit of Antichrist. The spirit of Antichrist is the spirit that operates through every Antichrist. And John has given us certain marks of the spirit of Antichrist which are very important. First of all, it starts in association with God's people. For John says in first epistle of John chapter 2 verse 19, they, the antichrists, went out from us, but they were not of us. For if they had been of us, they would have continued with us. But they went out that they might be made manifest that none of them were of us. So, Antichrist always begins in some way in association with the people of God, but doesn't really belong there, and in due course that will be made manifest. That's one mark of the spirit of Antichrist. The second one is that it denies that Jesus is the Messiah. First John 2 verse 22, Who is a liar but he who denies that Jesus is the Messiah? He is Antichrist. And then John continues with the third mark. He is Antichrist who denies the Father and the Son. This is very important. Antichrist does not deny the existence of God. In fact, he claims to be God's representative. What he does deny is the relationship of the Father and the Son within the Godhead. And wherever you encounter the denial of that, you are probably facing the spirit of Antichrist. And the fourth mark of Antichrist, which is given in 1 John chapter 4, is that it denies Messiah has come. Probably believes in a Messiah who will come, but denies that Messiah has already come. Let me recapitulate those four marks because they're extremely important. First of all, Antichrist starts in association with God's people. Second, it denies that Jesus is the Messiah. Obviously, that cannot be paganism, because paganism hasn't even heard of Jesus. You understand? It can only take place where Jesus has been proclaimed. Third, it denies the father-son relationship within the Godhead. Does not necessarily deny God, 
but denies a God who is revealed as Father and Son. And fourth, it denies that Messiah has come, but very likely teaches that Messiah will come. Now, let's take some historical examples. And I have to confess, what I'm going to say is somewhat controversial. The problem with the truth is, it's liable to be controversial. I have certainly no desire to offend anybody. And I have no particular desire to attack other religions. What I want to do is present the truth. But the first and most persistent and long-standing manifestation of the spirit of Antichrist is in Judaism. We always used to think that Christianity kind of branched off from Judaism. And that's what the Jewish people basically will tell you. Let me say I'm not Jewish, although my wife is, and we are very, very close to the Jewish people. I've come to see that that isn't true. What has happened is Christianity, that's the teaching of Jesus and his disciples, not a whole lot of churchianity that's followed ever since, but the teaching of Jesus and his disciples is the true continuation of the religion of the Old Testament. And Judaism has branched off from it, you see. That's a very important thing to see, especially if you're dealing with Jewish people, as we often are. So that's the first mark. It started in association with the people of God. Actually, if you, I'm, I'm no expert on Judaism, but if you analyze its teaching, much of it, is an unacknowledged refusal to believe in Jesus. A great deal of what is taught is a way of denying the claims of Jesus. The second manifestation of Antichrist in Judaism, of course, is very simple. It denies that Jesus is the Messiah, but it believes in a Messiah who is to come. Third, it denies the father-son relationship within the Godhead. It rejects the claim of Jesus to be the Son of God and does not accept that God has a son. And fourthly, as I've said, it denies that Messiah has come. Interestingly, just to make this up to date, this past summer, 1988, in Jerusalem, very elegant posters appeared in the city on all the main streets of the city in Hebrew saying this, Messiah has come. And if you want to meet him, go to the Mount of Olives on a certain Sunday and he'll be there. <laughs> Beautifully printed. I have no idea who printed them. I do know one journalist went there to see what would happen, but he didn't find Messiah. But that's just to show you how real this issue is. If you talk to Jewish people in a sympathetic attitude and you use the name Messiah, something changes in their eyes because it's a word that has a special significance for Jewish people. Now I want to offer you a suggestion, a thought that I have. You're perfectly free to disagree with me. But I want to turn to Matthew chapter 27 for a moment and just read one verse. I suggest to you that in this verse we have the first actual powerful manifestation of the spirit of Antichrist. 
Matthew 27, verse 21. Jesus has been brought before the governor, Pontius Pilate. Pilate can find nothing wrong with Jesus, but the Jewish religious leaders persist in accusing him and accusing him and stir up the whole Jewish multitude to turn against him. And we need to bear in mind that many of those people in that multitude must have been in the same multitude that just one week earlier had welcomed him to Jerusalem, put palm branches in the way, and said, Blessed is he that comes in the name of the Lord. Which illustrates something that I think we not, ought not to ignore, that humanity is extremely fickle. <laughs> Didn't take them more than one week to totally reverse their attitude. But I don't believe it was just a natural human reaction. I believe that there was a tremendous spiritual war going on in the unseen realm. And unfortunately, the spirit of Antichrist prevailed. And this is what happened. Uh, the governor Pontius Pilate brought Jesus out and said, it's, it's your privilege that I release one prisoner to you at this season every year. Shall I release Jesus? Or shall I re release Barabbas? Barabbas was a political agitator, a murderer, a man of violence. He'd never done anybody any good. Whereas on the other hand, Jesus had never done anybody any harm. He had healed thousands, blessed thousands, fed thousands. There was no logical reason whatever to turn against Jesus. It was not logic. It was a spiritual force at work. And this, I believe, is the key verse, Matthew 27:21. The governor, that's Pilate, answered and said to them, the Jewish crowd, which of the two do you want me to release to you? And so Israel is a kind of antitype of what will happen to humanity, in my opinion, because I believe all humanity, ultimately, is going to be faced with this choice, which of the two? Do you want Jesus, the Savior, the Healer, the Righteous One? Or do you want Barabbas, a wicked, violent, political agitator? In a certain sense, Barabbas is a type of the Antichrist. And they chose, whom did they choose? Barabbas. Listen, let's not point a finger at them. Let's be very careful that when the time comes, we don't make the same mistake. There was a spiritual force at work that swept through that crowd and changed them. And they became almost insane with anger, jealousy, and rage without any cause whatever. And I personally believe that's when the spirit of Antichrist first impacted humanity and it has in a sense sought to dominate the Jewish people from then until now now Jesus warned them if you turn to John chapter 5 John 5 and verse 43 they were at this point disputing his claim to be the Messiah and the Son of God and Jesus said, I have come in my Father's name, and you do not receive me. If another comes in his own name, him you will receive. 
Now that has been proved abundantly true. In other words, I am the true Messiah, but you won't receive me. If a false Messiah will come in his name, you will receive him. And the Jewish Encyclopedia records approximately 40 false messiahs who have come since then and been received by Jewish people. To name just one or two or three of them, the most famous probably is Bar Kokhba, who led a revolt against Rome in the year 138 AD, I believe. Then there was Moses of Crete, I think about the 5th century, who persuaded people that they should wade out into the sea from Crete and they'd meet the Messiah, and thousands of them waded out into the sea and were drowned. And then in the year 1666, which was supposed to be the miraculous year, Sabbatai Tzvi claimed to be the Messiah and was enthusiastically received by multitudes. One of the false teachings of Judaism, it's not taught by all of Judaism, but it is a teaching in Judaism, is that the one who gives us back our temple is the Messiah. You know, I'm sure, that the temple area, the sacred site of all Jewish people, is still occupied by a Muslim mosque. And the Jews are not even permitted to go there, although they actually control politically the whole area and I personally believe that if a political personality would arise that could somehow intervene in the Middle East and obtain for the Jewish people the right to build their temple there they would enthusiastically hail him as Messiah and he would appeal to the whole community of Jewish people worldwide and I would suggest that that might not be very far away. All right, now let's look at another main manifestation of the spirit of Antichrist. And this is one it's extremely important for us as Christians to be well informed about at this time. That is Islam, which is the name for the religion of Muhammad. Islam means um, perfection, completeness, fulfillment. Uh, Muhammad arose in the seventh century of this, era, of this era in the Arabian Peninsula, claimed to be a prophet, claimed to receive in a cave from an archangel the revelation of the religion which then became Islam. And he claimed that his religion, Islam, was the true fulfillment of the Old and the New Testament. He claimed that the Christians in the Gospels had perverted the real truth, but he, through Islam, was restoring it. That's the basic claim of Muhammad. And he first believed that because he rejected idolatry and because he rejected the claims of Christianity, the Jewish people would follow him. But he was disappointed. And when they didn't follow him, he turned against them and became a persecutor of them. Now, let's consider the teachings of Islam. Personally, this is my own opinion. At the present moment, I think Islam is the most sinister, powerful force opposing the truth of God at work in the world. It's a tragedy that 
so many Christians in the West have totally misunderstood and underestimated Islam. If it once gains power, it will first and foremost suppress the Jews and second suppress the Christians. In Muslim countries throughout the centuries, Christians and Jews have been given the title Zimmi, which means second-class people. It rather suits Islam to have some of them around, but to keep them in such a low and debased condition that the superiority of Islam is manifest to everybody. Ruth and I were in Pakistan in 1985 with a, preaching the gospel there. One of the first things that happened was we were taken to visit the Christian community in Karachi. And I still remember the awful sense of physical sickness when I saw the squalor, the poverty, the debased condition. They had open sewers running in the streets. They just went to the toilet out in the open. And this was the picture of Christianity presented to the people of Pakistan. It suited them, you understand? They didn't want to eliminate them totally. They just wanted to demonstrate the total superiority of Muslims over Christians. For instance, Muslims will never clean latrines. So all cleaners of latrines in Pakistan are Christians. That's basically the Pakistani vision of Christianity. And this is just one of countless examples of how the Jews and the Christians have been a totally suppressed, inferior minority in Islamic countries. Uh, the oath of a Christian is not accepted in Islamic courts. The evidence of a Christian against a Muslim is not accepted. It's true that Islam has not been guilty of anything so terrible as the Holocaust but it has a long record of 13 centuries of suppression and contempt for Christianity. It's hard for you who are not familiar to realize with what total contempt they view Christians. You see, the things that we, through Christian inheritance and tradition, regard as excellent, like mercy and forgiveness, to Muslims, they're just weakness. You see, at the present time, the situation in the Middle East, Western politicians, even if they're not Christians, have got a Christian viewpoint. They have a background. They talk about mercy, peace, forgiveness. To the, to the Muslims, that's nonsense. In the Muslim thinking, revenge is a sacred duty. I just want to bring out the, the, the totally different spirit that there is because it's not always obvious. Now, as I pointed out, Islam again has the marks, most of them. It started in association with the Old and the New Testament. It claimed to be the outworking of that revelation of God. But it denies certain basic fundamentals of the Christian faith. It denies the atoning death of Jesus on the cross. Muhammad taught that Jesus didn't die 
an angel came and spirited him away from the cross before he died. Because there is no death, there is no atonement, and because there is no atonement, there is no forgiveness. And no Muslim has the assurance of sins forgiven at any time. Second, and this they deny with fanatical intensity, that Jesus is the Son of God. You can talk to the Muslims about Jesus as a prophet, and they'll give you careful attention. In fact, the Quran acknowledges Jesus as a prophet. But when you, even as a savior, even as a messiah, but when you say he's the son of God, you bring out the most intense, bitter opposition. In the famous mosque on the, that's called the Dome of the Rock, that's built on the side of the, what was the Temple of Solomon at one time, in the Arabic inscriptions around it, twice it says, God has no need of a son. Uh, until you've encountered this, you have no idea of the intensity of the opposition to this. And then, as I've said, it denies the father-son relationship within the Godhead. So, Interestingly enough, you see, both these two religions that we've looked at, Judaism and Islam, originate in the Middle East. They will, if you go on a tour in Israel and you have a guide, they'll probably tell you at some point that the Middle East is the origin of the three great monotheistic religions, Judaism, Christianity, and Islam. It's my guess, and I just offer this as something for you to think about, that the spirit of Antichrist will succeed in the professing Christian church in eliminating Jesus. It'll ultimately, we'll have a Christianity without Jesus. It'll be a moral system, a legal system, a system full of all sorts of pageants and religion, but without Jesus. And you see, once you've eliminated Jesus, you've opened the way for a synthesis of Judaism, Christianity, and Islam. I'm inclined to think this is just a personal opinion, that the Antichrist will head up such a religion, uniting Judaism, Islam, and apostate Christianity. I think we're a very long way toward it. When you consider that both the Pope and the Archbishop of Canterbury have in recent years conducted in Christian churches ceremonies where Islam and Islamic priests and all sorts of Hindus, American Indian, were all welcomed as brothers together. See, you can just read that in the newspaper, but that is the spirit of Antichrist. Its purpose is to eliminate Jesus. He's the stumbling block. The cross is the stumbling block. Do away with Jesus and the cross and Christianity can merge with all sorts of religions. And I personally think we're, we're far on the way toward that. That's my personal opinion. And I think we have to be very cautious in our attitude and our approach to these things. Because I think the spirit of deception is at work. Then, as I say, there have been many lesser anti-Christian 
persons or systems. For instance, about 30 years ago, I was in Kenya in educational work. And I personally have a great respect, in a way, for Jomo Kenyatta, the first president of Kenya. But in the period leading up to the independence of Kenya, under the, what they call the Mau Mau uprising, you probably remember the word Mau Mau, um, the, the followers of Mau Mau took all the Christian hymns that the missionaries had taught them and reworded them, putting Jomo in place of Jesus. So that is, again, just a simple example of the spirit of Antichrist. I'm not saying Jomo was an antichrist because I think he was a good man in some ways, or he was never a Christian, but I think he did a good job. I don't want to be lined up as a critic of him. But the spirit that was at work was the spirit of antichrist. Now, let's come to the final manifestation of the spirit of antichrist in the Antichrist. Now we're dealing with something that as far as I know is still future. If it isn't future, I haven't discovered it yet. So there's always the possibility of error. And I'm not by any means laying down the law claiming that everything will be exactly the way I, pre I present it. But I want to direct your attention to these very important passages of Scripture so that at least you are not ignorant of them that you're not unaware of what Satan is planning. And you may be able to form some opinion about how far he's come in carrying out his plans. We'll turn first of all to Second Thessalonians, chapter 2, which really is mainly given over to dealing with the uh, appearance, revelation, manifestation of Antichrist. It's also dealing with preparation for the Lord's return. And of course, they're very closely intertwined because the final satanic act before the return of the Lord will be the Antichrist. In fact, Paul says the Lord will destroy the Antichrist with the brightness of his coming. Personally, I have no real aim to be a hero. Uh, I'm prepared to let Jesus deal with the Antichrist myself. I think he's the only one who can. I think the true Christ, the true Messiah, will deal with the false when he comes. I think that's one of the main purposes of his coming, is to defeat and cast down and overthrow the Antichrist. Anyhow, if we turn to Second Thessalonians chapter 2, beginning at verse 1, and just reading to verse 3. Now, brethren, concerning the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. That's the theme of this passage. And the word coming there is parousia in Greek, which is the word which is normally used for the second coming of the Lord Jesus. Concerning the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ and our gathering together to him as the church, which is to be caught up to meet him, we ask you not to be soon shaken in mind or troubled. Don't be disturbed. Don't be deceived either by spirit, that is a false prophecy or a false teacher, or by word, as some 
prophetic message that circulates, like the one that's been circulating recently, that Jesus was coming on the 12th of September, was it the 12th of September? You know, I'm just amazed. I don't know whether this circulated in Britain, but multitudes of Christians believed it in the United States. It shows to me the appalling, abysmal ignorance of at least American Christians. And I don't know whether Christians in other nations are much better. I'm really not, not prepared to say. I mean, there were thousands of people who believed this teacher who said that Jesus was coming on Rosh Hashanah, which is the Jewish New Year. I don't suppose they're really embarrassed that he didn't come. That's the amazing thing. They can still go on believing people after they've been totally wrong. Anyhow, I just understand why Paul wrote these words. Don't be shaken or troubled, either by spirit or by word, or by letter as if from us. See the, the nerve of Satan, that he was capable of getting people to write letters in Paul's name, sign them with Paul's name, as if they were written by Paul. I had a friend once, who, uh, a minister, he's still a friend of mine, in fact, and uh, he used to circulate, you know, he's a very good brother, if I gave you his name, most of you would know him. He used to circulate his own teaching tapes when he was pastor of a certain church. Well, a certain group who had a very erroneous doctrine got his tapes and on the blank side recorded their own teaching without saying anything, returned it to him, and after that, when the church lent out the pastor's teaching, they were also lending out on the same tape this completely erroneous teaching, see? Don't imagine that Satan doesn't have nerve. He has endless nerve. There's no limit to his nerve. All right, going on. Don't be deceived as though the day of Christ had come. Some people were teaching it had already come, even then. Let no one deceive you by any means. And I'd like to say that to every one of you. Let no one deceive you by any means. For that day will not come unless the falling away comes first. The word falling away in Greek is apostasia. It means an apostasy. It means a deliberate rejection of revealed truth. And I think we are living in the days of apostasy. I'll come to that a little later. Unless the apostasy comes first and the man of sin or man of lawlessness is revealed, the son of perdition. So there's two further titles of the Antichrist. He's the man of lawlessness. He's the supreme embodiment of man's rebellion against God and rejection of God's laws. And he's the son of perdition, the one who's headed for a lost eternity. It's interesting, there's only one other person in the New Testament who's called the son of perdition. You know who that is? Judas. Judas Iscariot. And you see, he was a false apostle. So we see here again the implication that this person will start in association in some way with the Christian church. Personally, I think he'll be charismatic. Super charismatic. I mean, I really mean that. All right. Who opposes and exalts himself above all that is called God. We won't go any further with that for a moment. But there we have now three different names for the same being. The Antichrist, the man of lawlessness, the son of perdition. And we have one other important name in Revelation 13. Let's turn to Revelation 13. Beginning in the middle of verse 1. <clears throat> this is part of the vision that John had in this revelation. 
I saw a beast rising up out of the sea, having seven heads and ten horns, and on his horns ten crowns, and on his heads a blasphemous name. Now the beast which I saw was like a leopard, his feet were like the feet of a bear, and his mouth like the mouth of a lion. And the dragon gave him his power, his throne, and great authority. Who is the dragon? Satan. That's right. That's absolutely clear. So here is some person that's going to arise to whom Satan will give his power. Why will Satan give his power to this person? Because that will enable this person to gain the dominion over the entire human race and to either persuade or force the entire human race to do the one thing that Satan wants most, which is worship him. See, this is his goal. He's been working at it patiently and perseveringly for many, many centuries, and he's very near the achievement of his goal at this time. Going on, I saw one of his heads as if it had been mortally wounded, and his deadly wound was healed, and all the world marveled and followed the beast. There is a sort of false resurrection here. I don't know whether this person will be assassinated. He will apparently be dead and he will return to life. What would have happened in America if John Kennedy had come back to life after his assassination? There wouldn't have been many people that would have not sold themselves to John Kennedy. Going on, verse 4. So they, that's the people of the earth, Worship the dragon, who's that? Satan, who gave authority to the beast, and they worship the beast, saying, who is like the beast? Who is able to make war with him? That's the fourth title, the beast, the wild beast. It's a word in Greek that means a wild creature, a, an animal of prey, such as a leopard or a lion or one of those. Now, in Revelation, there is a very deliberate contrast between two persons. The wild beast, who's Satan's ruler, and the lamb, who is God's ruler. And I think it's very important for all of us to bear this in mind in our spirit, that we do not cultivate the nature of the beast, but we have to cultivate the nature of the lamb. You see, when the Holy Spirit descended, at the beginning of the ministry of Jesus, and looked for somebody to settle on, what nature did he look for? The Lamb, that's right. For John the Baptist said, Behold the Lamb of God, and on him the Holy Spirit descended. See, I think this is one of the great issues that concerns every one of us. Because in the world today, it's so competitive, it's so intense, People are so extreme and violent that it's pretty easy to let the nature of the beast begin to infiltrate us. But what God wants in us is the nature of the Lamb. Let's look at the little picture of the Lamb in Revelation 5. We could read quite a lot, but we'll, we'll probably not read too far. Beginning at verse 5. Uh, John had had this vision of a scroll in the hand of God and there was no one who was found worthy to open the scroll. And so John was weeping. But one of the elders said to me, Do not weep. Behold, the lion of the tribe of Judah, 
the root of David, has prevailed to open the scroll and to loose its seven seals. This is dramatic, really, because John was looking for a lion. But what did he see? And I looked, and behold, in the midst of the throne and the four living creatures, and in the midst of the elders, stood a lamb as though it had been slain. So the, the lion is a lamb. That's a deliberate um, contradiction. So God's appointed ruler doesn't have the nature of the beast. He has the nature of the lamb. And he's highly exalted above all others because he laid down his life, because he humbled himself, because he went the way of meekness, humility, because he didn't resist his arrestors and his persecutors. And I really believe that the church in these days is going to have to display the same nature. And I, I mean, I don't believe it's easy. I, I suggest to you this. It's not a popular suggestion. I think the church may go home the same way as her Lord, by the way of the cross. I think we'll conquer, as the, as the hymn says, when we heal. God's strength will be made perfect in our weakness. I believe that's a lesson we're going to have to learn. And there's a lot of teaching in the church today that talks about all we can do and all our power and all that faith can accomplish. But I believe it really is inflating the natural man, the fleshly nature, and that nature has to be crucified before we can enter into God's purpose for us. We could go on with the worship of the Lamb, but I think you can read that for yourself. Let's return now to Revelation 13 and just look at glimpse a few parts of this description. Uh, we've seen that they all worshipped the beast. And they were all convinced it was hopeless to make war with the beast. Now, who knows how that will be brought about, but suppose a world ruler came to power who accumulated all the nuclear weapons and no one else was allowed to have any. Well, nobody would make war with him. It would be suicide even to contemplate it. I'm not saying it'll happen, but what I'm trying to point out to you is the situation that's pictured here is could be very close. Then he opened his mouth in blasphemy against God to blaspheme his name, his tabernacle, and those who dwell in heaven. He is the open challenger of God. He's not a secret enemy. He shakes his fist in the face of Almighty God. And again, we have a kind of attitude like that very close to us today. And it was granted to him by whom? I presume by God. It's a frightening thought. It was granted to him to make war with the saints. Who are the saints? I suppose that's us. I hope it's us. And yet and when I say I hope it's us, it's kind of ambiguous hope, isn't it? I mean, I want to be a saint, but I, do I want the beast to make war with me? Well, you may have to choose between two options. He was granted to him to make war with the saints and to overcome them. See, I want to instill into your thinking that Christianity is not all easy victory. In fact, I think in a sense, included in our faith is the willingness to be apparently overcome, defeated. 
but not really defeated. You see, Jesus cares very little about the opinion of this world. Have you ever thought about that? What was his last public appearance? As a corpse on a cross. He's never sought to create that appearance. He's never reappeared except to people who believe in him. How much do we care about the opinion of the world? Do we care more than that? Paul said, God forbid that I should glory, save in the cross of Jesus Christ, by which the world is crucified to me and I to the world. All right, let's go on a little further. All who dwell on the earth will worship him, whose names have not been written in the book of life of the Lamb slain from the foundation of the world. That's a dramatic statement. The whole human race will worship him, except those whom God has chosen for himself whose names have been written in the Lamb's Book of Life from the foundation of the world. Then we see this other very sinister person, who's briefly, whom we'll just glance at briefly here, the second beast. We're going on now in verse 11. Then I saw another beast coming out of, up out of the earth, and he had two horns like a lamb and spoke like a dragon. He appeared to be a lamb, but he had really the voice of a dragon. I believe this is a religious person. Generally speaking, he's called the false prophet. And I believe that false religion is going to align itself with a false messiah. And I suggest to you that this is already happening. For instance, in China, where the official three-self movement under Bishop Ding at the present time has aligned itself totally with the atheistic communist government and is the main persecutor of the real Christians. I think very much the same happened in Soviet Russia, where the head of the Russian Orthodox Church totally endorsed Stalin, and is now having an embarrassing time deciding what to say about it. See, I believe that the political ruler will appreciate the importance of religion and will co-opt religion in its false form to support his power. And he exercises all the authority of the first beast in his presence and causes the earth and those who dwell in it to worship the first beast whose deadly wound was healed. We, we don't have time to go into that in detail, but notice the false trinity. See, the, the, the ancient church in the, in the Middle Ages that used Latin used to say, Diabolus simius Dei. The devil is the ape of God. He really never comes up with anything totally new. All he can do is make a bad copy of what God has done. But there is a false trinity, you see? Satan, the beast, and the false prophet. And they produce an image which in a sense is a false church, you see? All right. Let's go back to Second Thessalonians chapter 2 quickly in closing. And we go back to that key verse, verse 3. Let no one deceive you by any means, for that day the coming of the Lord will not come unless the falling away comes first and the man of sin is revealed. Now, as I said, the word falling away is the Greek word from which we get the English word apostasy. And its primary meaning is a deliberate rejection of revealed truth. I suggest to you that we are surrounded by apostasy in the world today. All through the centuries, there have been churchmen and church leaders who've been wicked, immoral, covetous, but they have not openly denied the great basic truths of the Christian faith. In fact, those truths have been the means they use to support their power. But in this century, 
starting I think probably in Germany we have today church leaders, official representatives of the churches who have denied all the great basic truths of the Christian faith. The deity of Jesus, his virgin birth, his atoning death, his physical resurrection and his coming again. And many of them have occupied and do occupy positions of honor and authority in the professing Christian church. In Britain, as you know, I think two-thirds of the bishops of the Anglican Church have basically lined themselves with those statements made originally by the Bishop of Durham. I'm not aiming at anybody. I'm simply pointing out this is a feature of this century which I don't believe existed in any previous century. I believe that we are already confronted with the apostasy. And you see, the church is the bulwark against error. So Satan has to penetrate the church before he can break through with his error. There are three other messages in this series. For further study, we also recommend the cassette entitled Two Opposing Kingdoms, number 4123. For further information and a complete list of cassettes and books, contact Derek Prince Ministries, Box 19501, Charlotte, North Carolina, 28219. Telephone 704-357-3556. Praise God. Boy, I tell you, that was something else. <laughs> you know, I uh, I bathed in Derek Prince teaching, and uh, all night, all night, I mean, it's like he's not dead. He's alive. His teaching's here, but he's with the Lord. And when he said that the church has been, Satan has to penetrate the church, he's doing that. This, this, this doctrine of feel good, this prosperity doctrine, that's demonic. The Baptist, no Holy Ghost, that's demonic. It leaves out the Holy Ghost. Don't even pray in tongues. Then you got non-denomination churches speaking in tongues, but they don't cast out demons. See, the devil is, is really trying to penetrate. And it's up to the deliverance ministry of the church that can hold us off. Jesus was very pleased with the church of Philadelphia. Deliverance ministry can hold off Satan because we talk about it. We teach how to come up against him. Jab and Durden, you got the mic. Uh, good evening. It's, uh, I don't want to give a summary of what happened, but I just want to spot what I really love. What about uh, Derek Prince? I mean, he really brought us a tune. I can remember prior to my introduction to him, man, I didn't have believe everything goes. I was brought up to him. Ain't no such thing. Tongue has feet. This has feet. There's no such thing as demons and blah, 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 blah. And, all that stuff. and I think my my, um, my theology has uh, increased <laughs> 100% during the past seven years, man, because once upon a time I was talking that same fact, uh, tongue has feet and this has feet and blah, blah, and those demons and all that. And from what y'all heard tonight, uh, that, that compound by all the stuff I've been hearing from them for the for the past seven years. It's great, And, what, man. He, and, and thinking, what he said that was very astonishing that I wanted to get the audience to pay attention to mm-hmm, is mm-hmm. that he said that Islam, Christianity, it suppresses Christianity. Islam. Mm-hmm. There are Christians in Israel. Mm-hmm. Islam against the Messiah, Gaza, 
Islam. This is what we're dealing with. Amen. I know that's right. Evangelist Janet Taylor, you have the mic. Oh, I tell you, I enjoyed the teaching so much. My husband and I, we sat down together. I put it on the computer, and we listened to it. And um, I, it was such, it was so powerful, full of scripture, so informative. And I was just so blessed. I took notes. I just took notes on the things that he said, the four marks of the Antichrist, that it starts in association with God's people. And it denies Jesus is the Messiah. It denies Jesus as the Son of God in the Father, God, Father, Son of the God of the Godhead, and denies that the Messiah has come. They 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 say he will come, and we can see all of that. I mean, everything. This this is this was a futuristic teaching when Derek Prince was alive, and now That's he's right. gone. But this is right. happening right now. It is unfolding yes. right before our very right now. eyes. Right now. And I knew, I knew that this war that just broke out in Israel, people are saying it's anti-Semitism. I said, no, this is anti-Christ. This is anti-Christ. This is what this is all about. So the yep. Antichrist is soon going to appear on the scene, and I'm telling you, uh, it's like you said, they don't want to just, they're not just against the Messiah, they actually want to replace the Messiah with a false Messiah, and uh, when he talked about Barabbas, my God, he talked about Barabbas, yes, that was so powerful, how they chose Barabbas over Christ whom they had just recently uh, uh, had a parade and said, Hosanna, Hosanna in the highest. And now the spirit spirit of Antichrist was so strong. The Bible says that uh, uh, they screamed, crucify him. And then uh, it said, Pilate asked them again, and the Bible said they screamed the more, crucify him. Uh, that was the, uh, he pointed that out that that was the spirit and you have to make a choice choose you this day whom you will serve you cannot serve God and the Antichrist it's going to be one or the other but then he pointed out all the peoples of the world all the people worship the beast. That that just blew my mind. That just blew my mind. My husband and I, we sat intently listening to that teaching. I thank you, Apostle, for calling me, for inviting me uh, to join you on this. And, and we're going to join in the fast. We're going to fast. We're going to join in because I want the Lord to reveal more of this to me. So, yes, we're going to join you in this fast. Glory be to God in the highest. These are the days. These these are perilous times. It's time for fasting and praying because we need to hear from God. We need to hear from God. This hour is critical. It's an exciting time, but it is critical that Christians hear from God. And I had a friend, he said to 
to the church. Uh, uh, I visited a, a friend of mine, and he was preaching, and I'm telling you, he said something that stuck with me. He said that God said in this season, he's going to close the door on lazy Christians and lazy churches. And I said, wow. Yeah, this is getting ready to happen. It, it's going down. It's going down. And you better be ready. You better be ready. It. It's moving fast. It's going fast, too. Yes, it. it's go- this I mean, train it's cranking. is moving fast. Fast. <laughs> yep, it's moving fast. And then he, when he said something else, Sister Vegetator, that really uh, hit it, the Antichrist has penetrated some part of the church with this Creflo Dollar Doctrine, this, this Jesse DePlanis mess. That, <laughs> that ain't nothing but some mess. That's not, well, you that's know, not Christianity. We saw it. We saw it. We saw, um, uh, uh, what's this guy's name? He actually tried to bring the Pope in to his service, and uh, some guy was there. And uh, he had Kenneth Copeland. It was Kenneth Copeland. And he had uh, some guy on his program. They were celebrating their church anniversary. He had brought some guy in from the Vatican. The guy had the Pope's cell phone number. He called the Pope on the phone, and the Pope spoke a blessing over uh, uh, a so-called blessing. Let me correct that. Over <laughs> uh, 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 Kenneth Copeland's uh, congregation, and I almost screamed. And let me tell you something. It was like two months later. The guy that was on the stage with Kenneth Copeland, who called the Pope, he was dead in two months. He they he had a motorcycle accident. And he was dead in two months. That was not a coincidence. And this coexists. You see these coexist signs on people's cars. They want to. They want all the religions to coexist together. But Derek Prince said it so so wonderfully. He said they want to coexist, but without Jesus Christ. They they don't want him in the picture. And I'm going to say this, I'm going to say this, I'm going to make a bold statement because TBN brought in, uh, uh, what's the guy's name who replaced Elijah Muhammad in the Muslim, uh, 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 the, uh, the Muslim community in the United States? Anyway, Farrakhan. they brought that guy, Farrakhan, they brought Farrakhan on TBN and TBN, uh, Farrakhan was saying, uh, yeah, we, we, we embrace Jesus. Yeah, we believe in Jesus. Yeah, yeah, but they only believe him to be a prophet. And so many people watched that, and they were deceived by that because they thought that Christianity and Islam had found common ground. But they did not because the only common denominator that we could ever have between Islam and any other religion, it would have to be Jesus Christ is the Son of God. And no other religion embraces Jesus Christ. So I want to say that all those people that watched TBN and saw Farrakhan on there and heard him saying that stuff, don't 
get it twisted. Don't be deceived. They're not talking about the Jesus of the Bible. They will never embrace Jesus as the Messiah. They will never accept him. They have rejected him. And if you agree with that stuff, you have already been deceived. Another thing, Evangelist Taylor, I can put in there, Farrakhan, he'll say he believes in Jesus, but does he eat his body and drink his blood? No, he don't. They don't no, do communion. And they, don't, they don't pray they in don't tongues. They don't believe in, in the, the Holy Ghost. No. They don't believe in atoning blood. They believe they, uh, they believe Elijah Muhammad was sent by Master Farad Muhammad. That ain't Jesus Christ. So don't that's get not, don't get it a, twisted. It's, it's, it's a, that's a, that's another it's Jesus. It's another Jesus. It's another Jesus. It's another gospel. Because uh, I, I love how Derek Prince brought this out. He said Jesus said I come and I preach in the truth and you reject me. But if another comes, and many others have come, do you know what God revealed to me while I was listening to this teaching? Sun Young Moon, Sun Young Moon was another gospel. And do you know he came to this country and he told the people of New York that he was the successor of Jesus and that Jesus had failed. God told him that Jesus had failed and he was supposed to come and finish the work. And do you know what? The people in New York, he told them that all of their marriages, he went to all of these churches and told these pastors that their marriages were not good and that they needed to come to Times Square and let him and his wife marry them. They needed to all get married. 1,200 pastors had agreed to it. He, they, he went to the black church and gave them gold watches and told them that he was the Messiah. And when he walked in their churches, they quoted from Isaiah chapter 53, he was wounded for my transgressions, he was bruised for my iniquity, and those people bowed to him. They bowed to Sun Young Moon. That's another, Jesus. that's a spirit of Antichrist. Jesus. Mm-hmm. Yes, sir, Brother And then, too, what disturbs me, uh, when I'm told by these uh, updated ministers saying that uh, God loves us all, nothing wrong with one man going to be with another man and woman going to be with another woman. I say, and if it didn't used to be God love us all, I say, yeah, God love us all. But that's an abomination for a man to have a sex with another man or a woman with another woman. I say, sure, he loved us all. That's why he died on the cross. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that he was a believer. He said, oh, for God so, you know, give him the word. And, and, and God didn't mention nothing about being all right with him if you one man love another man. And another thing, and what's becoming popular in all the churches now is you hear the word ball jack all the time now. They, they, they promoted it. Even the pastors are involved with ball jacking, which means one man having sex with another man. You know? Oh, yeah, mercy. Another thing, too, Evangelist Taylor, when I was listening to this, I've been praying. You know, the Lord revealed to me in 20 years, Evangelist Taylor, ain't going to be no more uh, prosperity ministers. The Lord told me, you ain't got to worry about that no more. I'm getting rid of that. Oh, he said that's over. That's over. That's over. The Lord told me that this morning, Evangelist Taylor, I was praying. And he says, son, I'm, go ahead on and pray for the peace of Jerusalem. I got, I'm getting rid of this. That's, that's going to go out. Let me that's tell you. Out. And let it's, me not, tell you. It's, it's not popular. So many people 
from that church. It's not a God. It's not a God. It ain't a God. And I want anybody who can hear me, if those who can't wait for me, and if Advantage Taylor has time, you can go to her because Sister Taylor, we got so many people from uh, uh, um, World Changes Ministry that have been hurt, 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 don't know the Bible. All they know is to give this money. Ain't nothing else. They don't know nothing else to do. And That's everything it. That's is waiting, on, waiting on, on that. Ain't no faith. Ain't no trials, tribulation. Ain't no suffering. Ain't no sanctification. No justification. Just money. And uh, God told me to get rid of that. I saw it in a dream. God showed me I was in a church, and everybody in the church had on pajamas. And each person was on one was on one pew, so they had a whole pew to themselves. And I saw one man; he was sleep. He had a pillow, he had a blanket, he had on his pajamas. He was sleep. And then I looked over at another woman; she had her pajamas on, but she was laid back waiting on the show to get started. Okay. What show? And then there was the show that goes on. You know, the spirit of entertainment is in the in the church. And so oh, he's waiting Lord, on, yeah. mercy, pajamas. And so, so two men, two men asked, could they sing a song? Now, I'm watching all of this. And the two men got up. Somebody <laughs> told them, yeah, they could sing. They got up to Great sing, method. and they stood in the front of the church to sing a song, and they were holding hands. And I ran to the back of the church. I said, I'm not with them. I'm not with them. I'm not with these people. I don't know them. And I ran to the back of the church, and I just observed what they were doing. Let me tell you something. The church, the sleeping man, represented the sleeping church. Okay, the other person that was laid back, reclining, waiting to watch the show, that represented the spirit of entertainment. And the two men that were holding hands, that represented homosexuality in the church. Jesus Christ. And it's there. It's here now. It's here. It's, it's they here. got transsexuals all in the church. They call them yeah. she girls and all this whole foolishness. But God is tired. It's over now. And if oh, you yeah. saints don't get oh, together, yeah. if y'all don't get together and try to get y'all life right, uh, I just heard something from the Holy Spirit. I don't even have no Bible. I just hear James 4 4. I, can somebody. Whoever, Brother John, Sister Evangelist Taylor, son, I don't even have my Bible. I'm just sitting back posting it. When you get off Evangelist Taylor, I need James Fofo. I'm going to pull it up on the computer because I didn't even bring my oh. Bible in here. Okay, okay. James 4 and 4. Okay. God is so good. He's so good. I'm coming right now, Apostle James 4 and 4. Yeah, I just heard it in my spirit. Amen. Here we go. Oh, you heard it right. Ye adulterers and adulteresses, know ye not that friendship of the world is enmity with God? Whosoever therefore will be a friend of the world is the enemy of God. Oh, Jesus. God's tired. God is tired. God is tired. God is tired. Yes, sir. You you know what? It's witchcraft. It's witchcraft witchcraft. because they have the people under a spell. It's like the Pied Piper. 
how the Pied Piper led all the children away. He piped the music to them and led them all away. And they drowned. He drowned all the children. Well, this is what's happening. The Pied Piper's coming in. He's piping what these people want to hear. He's preaching these interesting messages. And they're leading them away from Christ. They're leading them away. And they're leading them to their death. To the knowledge of the truth. Okay. Always learning, but never coming to the knowledge of the truth. Uh, Sister Taylor, you you got your computer on? Yeah. I'm hearing Second uh, Timothy three seven. All right, let's go there. All right. Three seven. Glory be to God. Here we go. Thank you, Lord. Second Timothy three seven. Here we go. Here we go. Here we go. God is so good. Second Timothy three seven. Here we are, sir. Ever learning and never able to come to the knowledge of truth. For I'm gonna read six. For this sort are they which creep into houses and lead silly women captive laden with sins, led away with diverse lusts, ever learning and never able to come to the knowledge of the truth. Lord Jesus. That's what that's what we are now. Saints Yeah. It's over. Your days of trusting in the Democratic Party, that's got to go. Your days of trusting in the Republican Slave Whooping Party, that's got to go. Your days of trusting in the Independent Party, that's got to go. Your days of trusting in the NAACP, Schnook, all this old foolishness, you better trust in the Word, and you need to start committing yourself in the Word of God because it's not going to get no easier. We don't know when Christ has come. God gives us signs. Now, That's right. only, only God knows when the, when Jesus is coming, but we can see it getting set up. And you better get right, because we're not here that long. The Bible says we're like a vapor. We're not here. That's right. I mean, look, at, I'm 62 or 72, 82. I hope I'll be, what, 20 years? I'm, after that, I hey, I'm you know, 97, that still ain't that long. What, 30 years? 40 years? That ain't nothing compared to an eternity. Know nothing. this, that in... In the last days, perilous times shall come, for men shall be lovers of their own selves, covetous, boasters, proud, blasphemous, disobedient to parents, unholy, unthankful, without natural affection, truth breakers, false accusers, incontinent, fierce, despisers of those that are good, traitors, heady, high-minded, lovers of pleasure, more than lovers Lord, of God. Lovers of God. That's where we at. Entertain. Entertain. In, right they there. do it in the church in Jamaica. They, Oh, they racking back in Jamaica. They got them poor people oh, in yeah. line talking about sacrificial offering. And the poor people, you oh. can look on their face, they don't have the money. But they going in faith believing that they give this money to a man, that their problem's going to be more better in Jamaica because I live in Jamaica. Ain't nobody tell me okay. they struggle because I see them every day struggle. I'm around poor people every day where I live at. I don't live in no uh, 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 hooded uh, high hills, Jamaican. No, man. 
I lived in Kingston. I, I lived in Jamaica in Waterhouse, a poorest area in Jamaica. And I seen how hard that they survived. And I moved across the street to Washington Boulevard. I wanted to live in the community to see how they struck, how much they really served God. They have a deal for the Lord, but they don't want to study the Bible, Evangelist Taylor. No. They're lazy Jamaica's, Christians. Jamaicans and, don't want to study the Bible. I'm a, American, so, American Christians don't want to study the Bible. No, they want you to see, be schooled. They, they're, they're going to church all day, but you can't get them to read the Bible. They do an outward they thing of baptism. And, yeah, you you got to you have to study this word because if you don't have the word in you, let me tell you something right now, you ain't gonna make it. I ain't going no. out like that. I ain't going out like that because every time I, since I'm gonna say this before I go, Ben, say I got about 27 more minutes. I first thank you for letting me come on. I'm looking forward for you tomorrow. And because we got new people come in, uh, let me just go ahead on and take a break and let Evangelist Taylor tell you who she are, how to get a hold of her, and contact numbers in her ministry. And she will be teaching the Word of God this coming Thursday. Evangelist Taylor, let's go recapitulate ourselves with that information and give that out again. Amen. This is Evangelist Janet Taylor, the host of Walls of Fire Deliverance Ministry International. We, you can find us on the web at www dot walls of fire deliverance m i n dot com. Um, you can also contact us uh, by phone number at three three six eight three zero zero six zero one or through email at j e t two four five at m s n dot com. Um, I'm on every Thursday night on um, Fellowship of Deliverance, and I'm on at eight p m. If you are led to sow a seed into this ministry, you can do so two ways. We have PayPal and we have Zelle, and you can use the ID code of JET245 at MSN.com. Let me tell you something. We're living in a day this gospel has got to go forth. It will go forth. You will hear the truth on this station. Glory be to God. We're not backing down. We're not retreating. We are moving forward with the word of God, and we pray that all who hear, that God will give you ears to hear what the Spirit is saying unto the church in this season. Praise God, Evangelist Taylor. Chapman Durden, any final uh, comments before we close? Oh, yeah, man. I, I really I really love his teaching, you know. And you talk about... Um, James 4, 4, you know, and I just saw a footnote says this. Some of the friendship of the world is enmity with God. It says friendship of the world is spiritual adultery, unfaithfulness to God, and our pledge of commitment to him. Then he goes on to say it involves embracing the world's attitudes, values, and sinful ways. It goes on to the family says this way, and God will not accept our friendship with the world. He is a jealous God. One example of such friendship is participation in secret orders like large memberships that demand unscriptural religious oath and binding together with unbelievers, both of which are forbidden in God's word. And then the final says, to such groups without compromising God's word, godly standards, separation from the word, and loyalty to Christ. Okay. Hmm. I'm getting word of knowledge that there is, praise God, the word of knowledge, there's, there are, events there, there are, there are some Christians that's dabbling into zodiac signs. Y'all need to get out of that. Woo! My son is 
Sean and I now, talked about that tonight. I'm, I'm seeing Zodiac. Y'all got to get out of this. This Gemini, Taurus, the bull, these are star, the Bible says in Psalms chapter 8 that God ordained the stars. The stars is not meant to tell your future. Your life is hidden in Christ Jesus. Colossians 3.3, 3, that's a doorway. That's white magic. That's going to go to black magic. It's going to go to deep guttural magic. And then you're going to be worrying about uh, dealing, dealing with narcomances. And then you're going to be going with Achene and getting more deeper with this stuff. It starts with the little, little light stuff. That light stuff can alter your personality and destroy you. It is against the Bible. That's a violation That's of Deuteronomy 8, 18. God says you cannot worship anything and look into the stars or sky, stargazing of any of these things. That's totally against God. Deuteronomy, I'm hearing Deuteronomy. I don't have no Bible, but I hear Deuteronomy I'm a, I'm a, 18. Deuteronomy 18. It, I, I was, Sister Taylor, what I was doing was just talking, and I, I didn't have my Bible. I'm way in the back. Deuteronomy 18 women. I get. I got. I I'm, going I'm going there. I'm going there. I'm going there. I got it. I got it. You got it. Yeah. What verse? Uh. Verse 10. Uh, I don't have. Deuteronomy. There what, shall what not be found. Um, verse That's 10. It. There shall there shall not be found among you. Any that maketh his son or daughter to pass through the fire, or that uses divination, or an observer of times, or an enchanter, or a witch, or a charmer, or a consultant with familiar spirits, or a wizard, or a necromancer. For all that do these things are an abomination unto the Lord. There's a lot of you also are getting caught up, y'all gambling, y'all playing the lottery, y'all spending God's money on some lottery. That's a secret sin. There's a lot of you out here using the lottery, you call yourself a Christian, well, you don't need to trust you. That's gambling. God don't have us to do that as Christians. No. Also, no. I'm hearing there are, there's three people that has, uh, that have problem with their blood pressure. Uh and you you are on medication and your pressure is constantly going up, you need to do some forgiving. That's, that, that, that opens up a door to a lot of sickness. Also, I'm hearing there's a lady that has a swollen foot. The Lord told me to tell you, if you believe all things are possible for him that believe, Mark 9, 23, and it can be healed. Uh, I'm hearing uh, a person getting healed from cataracts in the eyes. The Messiah is healing cataracts in the eyes. Believe in Jesus of Nazareth, how God is anointed. Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Ghost, who went about healing all the opponents of the devil. There is a lot of people that are living in fear right now. Stress, I'm hearing stress, fear, and anxiety of how to pay your bills. You can't rest. You don't trust the Lord. You're trusting your job. You've got to give it up and trust in the Lord. You have to trust in the Lord. Just come into the room tomorrow, those who are in here. We're going to have some more word of knowledge before we start intercession and prayer. We're going to make a proclamation, Daniel prayer, for asking God to forgive us. For me and Evangelist Taylor start the proceedings for interceding for Israel, wherever the Spirit of the Lord leads us. We're coming up against the heavens in spiritual warfare declaration prayers about Scripture tomorrow. God bless Evangelist Taylor. Please close us out. In a prayer. Thank you, Chaplain John Durden, for listening to us. We're going to let the Vanity Status close us out. We'll see you tomorrow. 
intercessory prayer, spiritual warfare, praying for Israel, praying for the Ukrainian war, and praying for America, just however the Holy Spirit moves us. I have some prayer lists, and will be followed by the Holy Spirit, me and Evangelist Taylor tomorrow at 8 o'clock. God bless you, and we're going to let Evangelist Taylor close us out in prayer. Apostle, you also, when you called out that zodiac sign, I heard the Lord say also horoscopes. People, Christian yes. people are participating yes. in horoscopes, horoscopes, yes. horoscopes. Yes. You better put yes. that mess down. That is yes. witchcraft. And the first yes. first, the first syllable G- is Gemini. horror. You, that's why you operate in the spirit of fear. That's why you yep. in fear because of the horoscopes. It's horror. It is horror to the Christian. You have no business operating and messing with that. God bless you. Okay. All right, let's pray. Wait a minute. Evan, say Father, wait a minute. I'm hearing something from the Lord. Wait a minute. I'm hearing something else. They, they didn't, they didn't, you yes. got some Christians and bought, they chose some Halloween stuff. Y'all get out of that Halloween stuff, yes. man. It's demonic and it scares the children. It opens up the spirit of fear. It opens up the door to fear in these children. My husband and I, we saw them. They had the dogs and the cats. They had everything dressed in Halloween. Me and my husband, we said, what in the world is this? The people were having a little parade with the animals dressed in Halloween costumes. I said, what Mm. in the world? Mm. Mm. Father, we just want to thank you tonight for this teaching. Hallelujah on the spirit of Antichrist. God, we pray that those that heard it, that their ears would be open, that they would come into divine alignment with this word. God, we pray, oh God, that those who need to be here on tonight, that they will be there on tomorrow night. They will tune into the broadcast. Oh God, that you want to break some yokes, God. You want to destroy the yoke of the enemy off the minds of the people. Oh God, if they would hear this word, they will be set free. So Father, we thank you for the power of the blood, for the power of your word, and for the power of the Holy Ghost. Your word declares he whom the Son sets free is free indeed. We are praying for freedom through this fast. Oh God, we ask you to do it for your glory and for your namesake. Set the captives free, Lord. In Jesus' holy name, we have prayed with thanksgiving. Amen.